Well, good morning. Isn't it good when God knows before we even start and how he goes before? It's just so encouraging, isn't it? So I'm just going to sort myself out here. <clears throat> so as you know, uh, we really believe that God is speaking to us about standing in the gap. And we've taken that from Ezekiel 22, verse 30, which has already been made reference to this morning. And we believe that this is something that God is saying to us as a church for 2024, but there's a sense that we feel that this will go on for longer and that what will grow from this and be birthed from this will shape how we move forward more. And um, if you're like me, I'm a doer, so I'm like, right, what, what, what do we need to do? <laughs> and there's just been a sense that God's saying, rest, I want you to get this. And we don't just want a few of us to get this. We want to go on this holy pilgrimage together as family. So we want to take things slowly so that we can grasp this. We want the Holy Spirit to really speak into our souls and spirits as to what standing in the gap is. And, you know, if God <clears throat> speaks to you, and he already has to some, uh, come, please come and share with us. And thank you for those who have shared, because we want to hear, we want to lean in. We want to really, we want to do this together. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a woman who stood in the gap. And the wonderful thing is God will use anyone, man or woman, anyone who is available and ready. And isn't that exciting? And this woman is someone who was very unlikely. And God used her to stand in the gap to stop the annihilation of the Jews. Now, many of you will know that some of my, on my father's side, I, is, I've got Jewish heritage, and some of my Jewish relatives sadly died in the concentration camps in the Second World War. And I've never been to Auschwitz. Um, it's somewhere I think I'd like to go is probably the wrong word, but I think it's somewhere that I, I will go, <laughs> God willing. But I've never been to Auschwitz, but I believe when you go, there's horrendous heaviness of just what the Nazis attempted to do to annihilate the whole of the Jewish race. And, you know, without being political, we still see that today. But the story of Esther is the first, one of the earliest recorded stories of an attempt to annihilate the Jews. And it goes back about 480, 460 BC. Now, there's 10 chapters. We can't read the story today. Um, we're going to do a brief resume, eh? but I want to encourage you this week, read it. It's a fascinating story. Um, it's between the book of Nehemiah, between Nehemiah and Job, and it's a fascinating story. So I want to encourage you to read it. So surprise, surprise, the main person and the heroine is called Esther. And she was beautiful, we're told. We're told she was beautiful to look at. But I'm quite certain as you read the story, there was far more beauty inside of Esther as well. She was an orphan and she was brought up by her uncles, by a cousin. And in Esther 2 verse 7, we read this. Mordecai had brought up Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The maiden was beautiful. And when her parents died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. She was an orphan, but Mordecai loved her like his own. 
And the start of the book in chapter one, we read that the Persian king, King Asuerus, or in the Greek, Xerxes, is married to the beautiful Queen Vashti. Now, you know, just stick with me for the story because honestly, it's something like out of Hollywood. And it says the king threw a party and this party went on for seven days. And then you have in verse 10 of the first chapter, one of those little snippets when you know in the Bible just makes a little comment and it's such an understatement. And it says, when the king was high in spirits, I would think when the king was paralytic after seven days of partying, (laughs) when the king was high in spirits, he sends for Queen Vashti. Come and have a look at my beautiful wife. He wants to show off his wife. And much to his horror, in verse 12, we read that Vashti refuses to come. And she refuses to parade. And it says the king became furious and burned with anger. And I think that was probably an understatement as well. And the queen's disobedience leads to the king fearing that if other women hear what she's done... They might follow suit. So he banishes her. He strips her of being queen and he banishes her from her palace forever. And then in chapter two, we read the king decides he'd like another wife. And we read the process by which he chooses this wife. Now, we have some unusual dating programs on television in this day and age but believe me if you read this this makes some of those look wild look mild in comparison it's a wild story basically beautiful young women from all around the 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 country were taken to the palace I don't think they had an option if they were chosen they were taken and they had to join the harem and in that harem they had 12 months of the ultimate spa treatment six months of oil six months of perfume cosmetics absolutely and then they're presented to the king and when they're presented to the king they could take whatever they wanted this audience with the king basically was a very abusive system of the girl went in for one night for the king to have sex with her and then she went to the concubines and that was the end of her audience with the king unless he called for her back. A bizarre kind of thing. The king's power was absolute. No one could enter his courts unless he called for them. So once he'd had his one night stand, that was it. And we read that Esther was also called to the harem. And she goes through this 12 months preparation. And in Esther 2 verse 15, it says, when the the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai the eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Now, Esther was beautiful, but I think Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her because of far more than what was skin deep. And so Esther goes into the king and surprise, surprise, in in chapter two, verse 17, it says the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman. And the king decides 
this is my queen. And he puts the crown on Esther and she's made queen. Sounds like a fairy story, doesn't it? But big secret. Mordecai says to Esther, don't tell people that you're a Jew. Don't reveal your nationality. So Esther obeys, and that's her big secret, that she is a Jew, that she is different. But she continues to keep in touch with Mordecai, because obviously Mordecai loved her, and it says that he sat at the palace gates to find out how she was. Now, as in all stories, but the amazing thing is this is a, a historical story, there's a baddie, and the baddie was Haman. The ba Haman was the king's second, uh, highest official, and he was an arrogant man, and he said, everyone should bow down to me and worship me. And he liked this power. But Mordecai was loyal to his God, and Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And this infuriated Haman. So much so, it, Haman wanted to kill him, but not just kill Mordecai, he wanted to get rid of all the Jews. And he set about a plan to destroy and annihilate the Jews. So he tells the king that there's a group of people in his kingdom who have different rules, who, who disobey, who do different things to them. And he puts it in a way and he says, shall we, he suggests that a decree should be put out that the Jews are exterminated. And the king signs the decree Yes, obviously unaware that Esther is a member of the Jewish race. And as we start in chapter 1, and we're going to read some of the scripture in a minute, in chapter, in chapter, sorry, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Mordecai tears his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out of the city wailing loudly and bitterly. And Esther summons the eunuch and says, what's wrong with Mordecai? So he goes to Mordecai, and Mordecai tells him everything, giving him a copy of the, of the edict for the Jews' annihilation to show and explain it to Esther. And he says, tell her to go before the king and plead. Go before the king and plead for our safety, for our freedom. So the eunuch relays all of this to Esther. So we're going to take up, if you've got your Bibles, at Esther 4, verses 11 onwards. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces... So this, so this is Esther's reply to Mordecai's request. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approached the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he or she be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed and he hasn't called me. I haven't gone to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, 
but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. God asks Esther to stand in the gap for the annihilation of the Jews, to stop the Jews from being obliterated. And I want us for a minute to consider how she responds, because I think we can identify with some of her response. Esther's response initially is very human and logical. What good can it do? I've not been sent for for 30 days. I've not seen the king. How's he going to listen to me? She looks with logic. She doesn't jump to it. In fact, she thinks, well, I don't stand a chance. And then she weighs up the cost. If I go against the king, this will cost me my life. And then she listens and sees the bigger picture, that it's bigger than her. Is this God's timing? And who knows that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You know, we can be like Esther. I can be like Esther. I can look in the logic and think, well, we can think, well, what chance, what's my little voice going to make any difference? What difference does it do, do I make in it? Who's going to listen to me? But we need to see the bigger picture. <clears throat> Esther had hidden her nationality, her race. But she's in a place where she can't hide. She needs to nail her colours to the mast. And there's a sense that we can't hide. When we stand in the gap, we can't dither, we can't blend in. When God calls us to stand in the gap, it means to stand in the gap. And sometimes that is to to stand and be who we are. There's a massive lesson for us, isn't it? We can sometimes want to compromise. We can want to blend in. And I can be very much like that. Think we don't stand a chance. Forget the greater purposes of God. But yet we serve a God of the impossible. And as Esther reflects, she tells Mordecai to gather all the Jews together to fast And she will fast as well, and then she will go before the king. And she says, if I die, then I die. So for a few minutes, I want us to look at what does standing in the gap look like, what it looked like for Esther and what it looks like for us. And the first point is something that's come up over the last two weeks. But I make no apology for that because that is something of what standing in the gap looks like. It comes from a desperation and a compassion. Esther chose to stand in the gap because she loved her God and she loved the Jews and she didn't want them to be wiped out. She really cared. In fact, she couldn't bear to think that they would be obliterated. It mattered to her. And we can't stand in the gap if things don't matter because we'll be half-hearted. Standing in the gap comes from a real desperation from a love, from a compassion. 
And you know, part of what God wants to do with us is stir that in us. And I know that many, we have that, but I believe he wants to stir it so much more in us as a church. He wants to stir in desperation for the things that break his heart. And you know, the things that your heart's breaking about right now, they break his heart too. He sees that. And he wants to move, but he's calling us to stand in the gap. It comes from desperation and compassion. Standing in the gap also means being vulnerable. Esther had to be vulnerable. She had to be vulnerable about who she was. She was different. She was a Jew. She was this race that they were trying to wipe out. And maybe you're finding it tough at work or in your home situation. But you know, if you're in Christ, you are different. And as we stand in the gap, we've got to be vulnerable and we've got to be honest. And that doesn't mean that you air all your dirty washing to everybody. But there comes a point where you've got to have people whom you love and you trust and you can be honest with so that they can stand with you. And it comes through vulnerability. And there's no shame in vulnerability. I think the enemy just sows this lie that vulnerability is, is weak. Vulnerability is strong because when we're weak, he is strong. And so standing in the gap comes at being vulnerable. Standing in the gap calls for a dependency on God. You know what I love about this book? It, I really encourage you to read it. Of all 10 chapters, there's no mention of God there's no mention of prayer, and yet do you know he's on every page? He's through every action, he's through every circumstance, he's in every outcome. It just oozes God. And it talks, it doesn't even talk about praying, it says they called to fast. But when you look, yeah, wow, when you look into that, fasting was calling on God's power. It was acknowledging that the king's power, King Xerxes, his power was not enough. There was a greater power and we serve and live under a greater power as we've sung and has been shared this morning. And theologians agree that fasting and prayer went together. In fact, Gilbert theologian says that prayer was the principle. Fasting was an accessory. It was like a sign of humiliation and affliction. But it was, they had to cry out to God. They prayed. And at the end of the day, Esther knew who to run to. And so do we. And standing in the gap for us as a church most definitely partly will mean prayer. It starts in prayer. It starts in the presence of God. You know, and time and time again, We've been reminded of this verse, haven't we? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And there's a sense that that's what Esther called the Jews to do. 
And I think there's a sense that that's what God is partly calling us to do. You know, Esther the orphan is taken into this amazing place of comfort in this 12 months of spa. But you know, that 12 months of spa and comfort was not for her indulgence. And I felt God prompt me on this and say, if you're in a place of comfort, and there's a sense that we're all in a place of comfort, no one stops us from coming to worship this morning. No one stops us from singing to our great God. No one will stop us from praying. No one will stop us tomorrow sharing our faith if it's in an appropriate place. No one will stop us. But that place of comfort is not for our indulgence. It's so important what we learn in, in the norm. And the fact that it keeps saying Esther found favor with everyone, I'm sure that Esther found favor not just because of what she looked like, because of the God that she loved and she knew where to run. And it's important that what we learn in the norm, because when we run to the secret place, when we, when we depend on God, then when the challenge comes, then when God asks us to stand in the gap, we know what to do. Standing in the gap is about desperation and being vulnerable and being dependent, dependent on God. And it's about courage. She risks her life. She was desperate to see her people saved. And, you know, if you read the end of the story, after they had this three days of fasting, three nights of fasting, she puts on her best robes and she goes and stands in the hall. And there's the king there on his throne who's not called for for over 30 days. And she stands in the gap and risks her life. And he sees her and he raises his golden scepter and says, Esther, what do you want? I'll grant you up to half my kingdom. And Esther shows not just courage, but wisdom. And she says, you and Haman, come and have a banquet with me tonight. And when at the banquet, he says, Esther, what is it you want? And she says, you and Haman, come again tomorrow and I'll tell you. Very true saying, isn't there? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> She'd learnt that one. She knew. She was wise. <laughs> However, on the second night, if you read the story, she tells him that there's a wicked plan to annihilate the Jews and that she is one of these Jews and this, this plan is to destroy them all. And he is furious. And he said, who? Who set about this plan? And she said, it's Haman. And if you read, Haman is put to death on the gallows that he'd actually set up for Mordecai. And in chapter 8, we read that the king issues a decree that the Jews are freed. But it took courage. And it does take courage. But isn't there a picture of that? As she stood before the king and there was a cost, the chance of her life going, as we've been reminded this morning, one far greater, stood in the greatest gap for us, didn't he? He stood before the Father. And between us and our sin, and he bridged that gap. And he calls us as part of his reconciliation plan to stand in the gap with him.
And standing in the gap not only means respiration and vulnerability and dependency and courage. I believe he's calling us to do it in unity, together. It says, Esther called Mordecai and Mordecai called the Jews. This wasn't one or two. Oh, if I feel like it. Oh, I don't know if I can be bothered. This was unity together. And I want to say, as I've been praying on this, you know, the enemy is subtle. The enemy is subtle. He'll sow little seeds in you. Well, I don't count. I'm not really sure if I fit anymore. I'm not really sure what I should be doing. Perhaps this isn't for me. No, this is something that God is asking us to do together as church, as family, in unity, in step, together. Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And if I'm totally honest, and this has already been said this morning, which just confirmed it to me, I think about my Christian life, and I feel there's often a gap. And maybe there's often a gap for many of you. What God says, and the reality of where we are. Many of you, there are many in this church who need a touch from God physically, who need physical healing. There are those who need emotional and mental healing. There are those who need a home. There are those who need to sell a home. There are those who need a job. There are those who need finances. There are those who need restoration of relationships. And God says, I'm the God of the impossible. Trust me. I'm provider. I'm your healer. I'm your savior. And the reality is that if we're honest, as John brought out early, earlier, we're not always there. That's not the reality. And that's what standing in the gap looks like. Because that's the point when we, 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 we look at what God says and we choose to trust him. As Esther chose to trust we're not unwise about the reality, because Esther was not unwise about the reality, but we stand in the gap. We stand in the gap and stand on what God says and trust him. You know, when you go to London, it always fascinates me when you go on the tube and it says, mind the gap, mind the gap. And if you stand on the platform, there's a massive chasm. And it's like, don't stand in there because it's dangerous. And there's a sense it is dangerous. But you're standing in it and we're standing in it with Jesus. Let's just for a minute, in closing, let's just look at the other aspect of this. Esther, Mordecai and the Jews all stood in the gap. But you know what was amazing? When they stood in the gap, God did what they couldn't do. God's miraculous intervention when Esther stood in the gap. It's miraculous that the king chose Esther over all the other women. It's miraculous that the king welcomed her when she went before him risking her life. 
It's miraculous that he grants her her request. It's miraculous that the Jews are saved. It's miraculous that Mordecai is reinstated to second in command. God's miracles and God's power step in. And when you and I stand in the gap and do what he says, then he does what we can't do. And that is what we need. But I really believe as we stand in the gap, we should expect God to move because he is true to his word. I know I've shared with you uh, um, before, but just before the pandemic, we had an, an alpha course and um, I had some prayer requests and I put them on post-it notes in the back of a wardrobe door in one of the spare rooms. And it was like my prayer wall. And I used to go and, because I was desperate. And you, know, you might think this is crazy, but I was desperate. There are some things that I am desperate to see God move. And I know that you're all desperate to see God move on some things. And I used to put them on post-it notes and I had his promises and they were written there. And when I, sometimes I couldn't even speak, but I'd just go to this, open this wardrobe door and just cry out to God. And I'd stood on promises. Lord, your word says all things work together for good. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who love him and are called by his name. And then pa pandemic came and I forgot about it. And I, to be honest with you, some of the post-its notes must have fallen down. And then a couple of months ago, I happened to open this wardrobe. And right at the back of the wardrobe were the post-its. You know, much to my amazement. Yes, some of those post-its, they're still there. And I'm still waiting to see God break through. But there were many that in five, six years, God has done and answered there's people in this room that are a result of those post-its. Now, I'm not saying that I was the person who stood in the cap for them. I was one of many. But, you know, we don't know. We can't underestimate what God does when we stand in the cap. Esther's heart broke for her family. And you know the things that break our hearts so much? It's family, isn't it? Whether it's blood family or church family. They are the things that, because they're the things that are dearest to us. There are certain things that in the morning, quite honestly, Graham and I get up and it's almost like we can't face the day until we've prayed about these things because we're carrying them so closely. There are people in this church whom we carry closely in church family that we long to see the intervention, God's intervention. Esther cared about her community. And you know, God wants us to care desperately about this community he's placed us in. He wants to break our hearts for what breaks his in this area. It's going to cause us to stand in the gap for the things that break his heart. The amazing thing is that Esther's standing in the gap not only saw the miraculous for her family and her community, 
It saw her for her whole race. And amazingly, as we read in in chapter 8, verse 17, it said, There was gladness and joy among the Jews, and a festival, a holiday. The festival of Purim was instituted. And every year, even to this day, the Jews celebrate the festival of Purim, and the story of Esther is read. She not only had changed her family and her community, she changed things internationally and historically. And you and I can think, what difference can I make? But who knows that you came to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows what God wants to do through little old me and little old you or us together? God's heart is that no one perishes. And as Sam shared and we've sung, he calls us to be part of his reconciliation plan. Christ has done an amazing work of reconciliation on the cross. And you know he calls you and I to be part of that. In word and deed, to start to see, bring his change where he's placed you. He wants you to be a minister of reconciliation, a minister of his peace, a minister of, of Jesus. What? This is amazing that we're called to stand in the gap. It's so humbling. But who knows what God is going to do? So I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand. And let's just offer ourselves afresh to the Lord and, and just see what the Holy Spirit might want to do. Lord, we want to thank you. We're just amazed that you call us to partner and participate in your work of reconciliation. Lord, we're humbled and we're challenged that you cause us to stand in the gap. And Lord, I just recognize that there's people all over this room and they're standing in the gap for different situations. And they're standing in the gap for things that are really personal. And maybe, maybe some of us feel those are just like massive walls that just are insurmountable and just will not break. And maybe some of, for some of us, those feel like things that we've cried over and over and over again. But God, but God, but God, the God of the impossible, as we stand in the gap and we trust you, Lord, we anticipate and trust and expect you to stand with us and to move. Lord, we pray, Lord, for our community. Lord, whatever it is you want to do with us as a people, Lord, we want 
we ask, break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. We cry out for this place. We cry out for Little Lever, for Bolton, for Barry. Lord, we want to see more of you, Jesus, and more of your kingdom. Lord, we cry out for things far further afield, Lord. We don't underestimate, Lord, what you want to do. But we just say, come, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. And we say, Lord, we want to choose to stand in the gap. Help us, Lord, in this process as individually and as a church, Father. Cause us to seek your face together, Lord, for your kingdom's glory. Amen.